I'm Rob Trasinski. This is Salon of the Refused, where we talk about ideas that are outside the mainstream. My guest today is Shoshana Weissman, who is a fellow and digital media manager at R Street Institute. Shoshana, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, now, uh, there's probably no more millennial job title than digital media manager. And I, I know of you because you're on, on Twitter a lot, uh, out there on social media. And uh, in between saying incomprehensible millennial things, uh, I've also been very, very glad to see that you occasionally recommend my article on the paradox of subsidies talking about the effect of uh, uh, student loans and grants and things like that on raising the price of college tuition. So I appreciate that. I'm actually a really big fan of that. I, I know you can tell, but I'm a really big fan of that article because when I started getting frustrated with college while I was in college, I came across that and I'm like, oh my gosh, this makes perfect sense. So I'm always re-upping that to like, I mean, I think I'm like its biggest promoter. I'm just like, this one thing is the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm also familiar with your work on uh, occupational licensing reform, which is, now that's, this is a campaign under R Street Institute. So describe R Street Institute for me a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So our street, um, we do everything that no one wants to do or that no one is doing. So whether that's flood insurance reform or juvenile justice reform, um, we do kind of everything except taxes and health care. Um, sorry, uh, health insurance. We do some stuff related to health care, but not insurance. Um, just flood and fire insurance, which I have the great job of promoting online. So I just kind of take to like yelling at Taylor Swift for not talking about it, which works pretty well. Um, and we're also the fun thing thing because we know what we're doing isn't like the sexiest stuff, but it's really important. Um, and when I got here about a year and a half ago now, my colleague was a student of Professor Randy Barnett. So we were dorking together and we're like, wait, you know, we're, we love Randy, we love economic liberty, like, let's just do some stuff. And it started with national solutions to licensing reform, which are few, and the, but they respect federalism, and they're important. And then um, the student loans and licensing issue, but we've kind of taken on random parts of the issue, where um, people aren't engaging as much for various reasons that make perfect sense. But we're just like, hey, we'll do this stuff, and we enjoy it. So basically, I do everything I enjoy for a living all day. <laughs> That, that that's a great uh, a great job plan actually. I but I try to do the same thing. It's it's getting paid for it. That's the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the uh, occupational licensing form is a great is a great example of something that's kind of unglamorous, especially on the national level. Uh, and so describe that issue for me uh, for us a little bit and uh, and what it is. What are the examples of the sort of things you're trying to fight against, and and what the progress of that is. Sure. So um, you want your doctor to have a license because like if he's operating on you, you might want to make sure he knows what he's doing. But uh, your barber, your florist, um, years ago, I, I heard Clark Neely, who was at the time at IJ, um, and now he's at Cato, talk about licensing reform. And um, he was talking about Sandy Meadows. And for those familiar with the issue, you'll know the story. But she died while in poverty because she couldn't get a license to be a florist. Louisiana is the only state that licenses this. But um, you had to pass a, um, a, an exam of like putting together flowers um, and also a written test. Um, they finally got rid of the exam, the, um, the the floral arrangement exam, but that pass rate was lower than the Louisiana bar exam. And it's not because arranging flowers is hard. Of course, it's an art, but like the industry doesn't want more people competing. So they use this test to get rid of other people they didn't want in their industry. Um, so after hearing that, I was just so appalled and it hit me to the bone. And since getting into this, just everything is licensed, whether like in some states, you have to have a license to basically mow a lawn. Um, nurses, even nurses who you want to have a license, but 
they're not allowed to do everything they're qualified to do. So why are we training them for things that they're not allowed to do? Well, well that's um, an interesting, if, interesting thing that I wanted to mention, which is you talk about how we want to have licenses for doctors. And I, I kind of don't want to let professional licensing of uh, the more traditional type off the hook too much because there was right. always an element in that of excluding people and creating barriers to entry. Uh, now, for doctors, obviously, you want a doctor to be highly trained, but there was also limits on you know what nurses could do and the idea that things that didn't really require a doctor to be done, didn't require that level of training, still had to be done by a doctor because it was a way of you know creating these walls of separation uh, to as sort of protectionism for a profession. I've seen the same thing in architecture. Uh, um, when my wife was in architecture school, you know, when she got frustrated with architecture school, there was still this out you could do where you could do like nine years of internship and then take the architecture test. And you, you, it was more years of internship, but you didn't have to have the degree. Then they cut that off. They got rid of that. You have to have a degree from an accredited school. And it was clearly an attempt to give a monopoly to you know, to to the to the academic establishment over the school over the field of architecture and similar things with law. They talk about you know law schools have a problem that the reason law school is so expensive is because of all these conditions placed on the law schools uh, by the accreditation process and make it impossible for you to get a ten thousand dollar a year law degree. And lawyers end up graduating and not being able to go out and work in Appalachia. They have to go move to the big city and work for a big corporate law firm. So. I think a lot of the things that were established there with professional licensing, it's like that bled down, you know, once this thing was, uh, precedent was established. For example, you talked about a test for florists, but it's not just a test. Oftentimes they have, you know, you got to give jobs to the academics, right? You got to give jobs to the schools. Uh, they have, you know, thousands of or hundreds of hours of classes that you have to take to get these licenses. Absolutely. And actually, it's funny with um, with lawyers, especially if you know a lot of lawyers, you'll know that um, that a lot of people without the law degree are the ones actually doing the work. And then the lawyer just signs off on it. And it's like, so what the hell was the point of all that? You know, um, so I'm, I'm very open to reform there. It's not something we've taken on, but it is something we've talked about um, that we're still kind of thinking through. And I think it's a little further off for a lot of reasons. Well, well but, I, um, I think it's just something worth mentioning because. Oh, yeah. It's an example of how when you you have a, a stronger rationale for doing something and you establish the precedent. And then once you've established that precedent and set that system up, other people say, hey, we can do the same thing. And it just spreads like, you know, if not stopped, it spreads like wildfire. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's really big when, with, um, with anything medical. And I don't even mean like doctors. I mean like health coaches or uh, nutritional uh, nutritionists and dietitians. You know, I, it's really frustrating. In in some states, you have to have a license to give diet advice, and that is that definitely is part of the medicalization, or sorry, the licensure of medic the medical field. But run amok, it, it's absolutely insane what you have to have a license to do stuff you can do for free at home or for for free, or and sometimes even not for free. You know, it, it's it's ridiculous. Um, I know that they're trying to license athletic trainers in um, in Colorado now. They're one of the few states that don't have it, and this is part of like that whole medicalization that you're talking about. Um, and and one in the testimony, this one guy was saying, "Oh, I just feel more comfortable." No, that's not that's not a good reason to license to, or to you know go to a licensed person. I'm all for it. I love trade school. I think they do some really great work, but, um, and I, I'm all for that as an alternative to college too. I'm very big on that, but it's frustrating when they're like, oh, you have to go through us or we're going to arrest you. Right. That's where I have an issue. And that's why it's, you know, you might feel more comfortable with a licensed person for sure. Go for them. I'm all for it. 
but um, but arresting people, finding people because they're practicing something without a license, the free market will take care of it. If an athletic trainer doesn't know what he's doing, they're not going to keep going to him. If um, a, a hairstylist doesn't know, um, and you know what, I, I can see reason for health inspections at, at places where people are touching one another, whether it's, you know, hair braiders, that's reasonable, but requiring a license for that stuff. So I've gone to hairstylists who didn't know how to work with my hair and they had a license. And I'm like, well, I can just tell you the stuff to do. Can you please do this for me? And it's, it's funny being, um, you know, being in my shoes and, and listening to the arguments. Um, it, it's, it, it, you know. For, for me, it's about the lowest barrier to entry that makes sense. You know, health inspections can be reasonable if there's reason for it. But um, but requiring years and years of training and expensive schools, it's abusive. And I'm not willing to throw people in jail or to fine them or to put them out of business because they don't have a license to, you know, mow lawns, cut hair. Um, there's also my favorite, one of my favorites is fortune tellers. What the hell is the point of that? Oh, my gosh. Like, oh, this this fortune teller is legit. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite one of my favorite stories when one of these uh, uh, fortune telling uh, call in pay you know pay per minute call in networks went bankrupt, and it's like, yeah, well, they didn't see it coming. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so one of the things I want to talk about was with people feeling saying that I don't feel comfortable. You know, one of the things that I know is true is that for a lot of these fields, there are private uh, certifications or things like that. For example, for personal trainers, you can get a private certificate. And maybe, you know, the gym I go to won't hire somebody as a personal trainer unless they have that private certificate. So it's almost like, you know, there's a way to establish this with private certification if you're concerned that of the quality that you're getting from, well, maybe not from fortune tellers, but if the quality you're getting from other, from hairdressers and that sort of thing. And it's like almost like the government is coming and pushing that out. Now, what is the rationalization that they give for doing that? What is the argument on, on, on behalf of uh, the regulations and the, and the occupational licensing? So there's a bunch. And, and the way that this all gets started is a bunch of different ways, especially with cosmetologists. They're always claiming health and safety. But the rates of, um, of like toenail infections and all these different kinds of things are insane. They're really bad in licensed states. Yeah. And it's clearly like it's not working. And maybe health inspection is, you know, a rigorous health inspection would be a better alternative. But clearly whatever they're doing isn't working. And, you know, they're they're not operating in safe environments. And they're complaining about that unlicensed people i'm like how about you get your licensed people fixed first yeah. and let's talk about even doing more there in other cases they're like oh you wouldn't want someone who's not good at the art of whatever but that doesn't matter the market can weed it out your hair will grow back <laughs> if i get a bad hair dye job in a couple of weeks i'll just go bleach it again and do it all over again and that's that's an aesthetic character characteristic it's not even an objective exactly. thing that you can a thing you can objectively measure it's an aesthetic characteristic and that strikes me as a sort of the paternalism of it is you know, I'm going to decide who's a really good hairdresser and who's not uh, and tell you who you can go to and who you can't. Oh, yeah. And and when they um, when they know people are going to push back on you're going to throw people in jail for doing something aesthetically in a way that you don't like, then they'll say they'll, they'll claim health and safety in absurd ways. The Louisiana floristry test was based on health, health and safety um, because, oh, you know, what about infected dirt? What the hell is infected dirt? <laughs> Um, what's amazing too is people will come up with rationales when the government can't, not just because of the court system. And I know we're both into Barnett's theory where it's like the, the, the courts should not be going out of their way to justify nonsense from government, but they do. Um, and I, I, the, the things I've seen people justify, I think the florist one is really up there. One of my favorite new proposals, which is just unreal 
um, there's this thing called qigong, and it, it it's basically meditation. It's an, an ancient Chinese art of meditation, and sometimes there's minimal touching involved, almost like a light massage. Think of it that way. Um, but it, it's internal energy work. My mom does it because she's a hippie, so I know all about it. They want to license it. It's something that exists legitimately in thousands of forms. And I'm like, how? what the hell is the test going to look like? So I'm yelling at an Oklahoma rep because of that. And I'm like, what, what the hell is this? Um, so, you know, there's health and safety. There's art. There's stuff you can't possibly create a legitimate exam for. Um, and other times it's just kind of YOLO, like, hey, we want to license this. Why not? Like, um, well, it's, I think okay. one of the things that happens is a lot of this stuff happens under the radar very much because, you know, I hear about this stuff because you talk about it. I don't hear about it because it's being reported in the Virginia newspapers. Uh, and, and it strikes me that this is an example. You know, one of the things I complain about with the collapse of federalism is it, it all the attention goes to the Capitol. All the attention goes to what's happening in Washington, D.C., and not enough attention is going on to what's happening on your in your state legislature or what's happening in your city council. And I think that's how a lot of this stuff gets through, how a lot of this stuff comes about is that you get – you know, a, a couple of dozen cosmetologists who get together and say, hey, we should put licensing because it'll, you know, with the obvious motive that it excludes competitors to them. And nobody's paying attention. And that's why it gets through. I mean, that's an old theory about how the regulations happen. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's I, I'm, I'm totally with you on all that. But what's frustrating is that people want to hear about this stuff. Like I have 50,000 followers we're all obsessed with licensing reform because of me talking about it. People are interested in this stuff. And when you tell them the stories, especially they're interested. So it's weird to me that people don't want to report on it. It's really not that burdensome to do. You just kind of look at, at whatever state it is, look through their legislation that's being proposed and track. I don't know why more people aren't reporting on it because it's easy stuff that's important that will get lots of eyes on it. Um, so that's one thing I, I haven't been able to figure out. I think that there's, you know, it, that goes to maybe the, the trouble in the industry of news, just that they're going through a lot of changes with, with um, the Internet changing stuff for them. Right. And it has gutted to some extent state and local news uh, has has gotten the brunt of the consolidation and the shutting down of newspapers. So that's part of it. Uh, I also think part of it is that it doesn't fit into the usual sort of partisan categories of the way people think about things. It doesn't even fit into what people think of as being, quote unquote, reformist. And this goes to another hobby horse of mine, which is the idea that and I, this, that's why I like what our street Institute does is the idea that, you know, when you think of free market reforms and, 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 ref, uh, and the causes on the right, if you're talking about deregulation or something like that, you think of, oh, we're going to do something at the EPA or we're going to change the tax code uh, to to lower uh, uh, capital gains taxes. And it's all stuff that's sort of, you know, defending Wall Street and big business and regulations on this national level. I think there needs to be more emphasis uh, on the right and among pro-free marketers on how pro how free markets affect you know the blue collar guys how how they affect the average person. A sort of I would say it's a more populist approach. I mean you know there was talk a number of years ago about free market or libertarian populism or something like that. We got sort of I, I think you'd have to call it what we have now non-libertarian populism in the in the White House, but this idea of free markets being for everybody and benefiting everybody. So for example, in occupational licensing, you know, who's really hurt by this? Who is hurt by the, the, the imposition of these, these barriers to entry? Oh yeah. It's the little guy on every level, you know, 
Rich people can afford to overcome the barriers. When you're licensing pet groomers, it's going to be the guy who, you know, does it at home who's hurt and can't afford the licensure. But it's going to be PetSmart who was messing with the dogs to begin with, which is a whole nother story <laughs> that um, that is going to be able to afford it. It's always the small business, the individual who's not going to be able to overcome this. And not just on the producer side, but on the consumer side, um, fewer people means raising uh, practicing means uh, higher prices means less access to care, and that's always going to fall on the person with the least amount of money. So to me, it's just a, it's it is it's funny. I'm very against populism generally, <laughs> unless it's government imposing stuff that hurts people. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not your job to hurt people. Like, you should be making life easier for people and and helping them if you're going to do anything. So for me, it's just a, a complete abuse of power. Um, and you're right, you know, a lot of the reforms are are proposed by Republicans, but not all, for sure. And a lot of the abuses are just bipartisan. It's like yeah, idiots yeah. on both sides of the aisle and sometimes well-meaning people who don't realize the effects of what they're doing. But um, but yeah, you know, news is so polarized these days. You know, people like the story that's going to make you hate Democrats or love them or hate Republicans or love them. It's just kind of make you hate everyone, which I guess isn't great either. But um, <laughs> but it's I, I don't think people understand that people are going to be interested in this, you know, that they're going to want to yell at the representative. Like, why are you doing this? This is stupid. And it's increased. I mean, it, it gets well, to so many other issues, too, it, like over criminalization and the jail population. So, you know. Yeah. And, and another uh, thing that I remember from this is that uh, one of the people hit by this is military spouses. Because they're oh, often yeah. the ones, because the licensing is done state by state. So if you have a license to be a cosmetologist in one state, you don't have a license in, the, in another state. And, you know, military spouses are the ones who end up having to move from state to state on a regular basis. And suddenly, you know, you, your, your husband or wife gets reassigned. You're in a new base. You don't, you can't practice your profession uh, unless you spend, you know, thousands of dollars and, and lots of time and, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, it kills voluntary mobility where people just want to move from one state to another and they know they have to get relicensed in that state. But think about involuntary mobility. Military spouses is, is really the perfect example of that. And I think it highlights a bunch of other problems with it, too. But um, but yeah, these people are serving our country and we're screwing them. It's like, oh, yeah, sorry, you're going to have to get relicensed and pay lots of money to keep doing the thing you're already qualified to do. Um, now would be a good time for me to plug Governor Doug Ducey, the greatest governor of all time. He's he basically goes through my policy wish list and he's like the nicest guy. And I wish I could clone him, but it's not feasible yet. But he, he's um, supporting a new bill that basically allows people to transfer in their licenses. They might I think they still have to pay the fee, but they won't have to go through the training again, which is something that that's a really big move in the right direction. Um, so at least people moving there will only have to do one thing instead of go through the whole thing again, get certified by the board again. It'll be a lot faster, a lot easier, and it'll help people move to a state. And that's huge for military families. You hear about these people all the time who move from one state where it where uh, whatever pressure uh, profession they were performing wasn't licensed to one where it is and now they have to get licensed again military families are hurt really really bad by this and you know if they can't afford it they're not going to stay in the military so if we want a strong military this is just kind of essential to keeping that right 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 so tell me about what is the progress of the reform here you talked about doug ducey doing some of this how is it taking you know are you finding you're getting some traction with this in terms of stopping some of these licensing abuses from going into place or rolling them back where they exist 
Yeah, there's a lot of good reformers out there, both in government and outside, like the Institute for Justice, Pacific Legal Heritage. There's tons of people working on this and a lot of state think tanks, too, thankfully. Um, There's progress, but there's also drawbacks. Like whenever I see a new license proposed, it's frustrating. But I think when I was looking through our bill tracker, um, there were more reforms proposed than new licenses. So that's that's a start. Um, Unfortunately, it's just it's harder in certain industries. And it depends on the state, too. Like Louisiana's really strong florist lobby, which is weird. But also (laughs) it makes it hard for us to repeal that one license. And cosmetologists between them, their schools and and a lot of the the BS they promote. It's really hard to fight against them. So it's, it's a bit of a losing battle there. But we're still committed to fighting it or at least reducing hours, making it more reasonable. So if it's not perfect, at least it's better. And we're always open to letting the, the better be the enemy, the, uh, sorry, not letting the, the perfect be the enemy of the good. Um, so we've, um, we've seen a lot of traction and we work with a lot of legislators. Um, and actually, I think the best area for this has been the student loans licensing issue, which we just found out about um, about a year ago, where basically in certain states, if you fall behind on your student loans, they'll take away your occupational license. Yeah. So you lose your ability to work in the job you know best, where you're presum- presumably able to make the most money. So you can't repay the loans. The loans get repaid and the people who gave you those loans are hurt. You're hurt because you can't work and the employers are hurt because they can't hire you. So it makes absolutely no sense. And when we started this um 22 states had it. If I'm right, we're down to about 14, 15 states, and we're working on a bunch of repeals throughout the states. So we're hoping that this is going to be gone very soon. Um, and we're really excited about that. Um, there's also a national bill with Elizabeth Warren and Marco Rubio to fix it, um, which we loved. We thought that was fantastic. Um, so and we're back tied... to the paradox of subsidies. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that you, so... you, you jack up the price of education, more people have to get student loans. And then it becomes almost like a form of debtor's prison. It, it, cha- it follows oh, yeah, them yeah. around and, and wrecks their prospects in all sorts of ways. Yeah, this is literally debtor's prison. And I mean, I, I want to fix student loans. I know that that's a dream. <laughs> Our street doesn't really work on that. But, um, but in my heart, I care very much about it. But it, it's this whole system of government hurting everyone every step of the way. Um, and thankfully, at least this piece will be gone. But there, there are so many more pieces. I mean, another one that's tangentially related is when someone falls behind on child support payments, we take away their driver's license so they can't drive to work where they would make money to repay it. And it's it's maddening to see this kind of stuff happen. Um but, the, you know, the, the repeal efforts are, are making – there's good progress there, but I think the hardest parts are definitely cosmetology. These random states like Louisiana with their just uh, uh, compact lobbies that have a lot of um, influence in the states. Um, and also the, the medicalization of different things, whether it's nutritional licensing or, um, or, or different kinds of athletic training. Um, CrossFit has been really great on this. They're like, hey, we do what we like and we, we kind of want to protect our people and make sure they can have freedom. So we want to protect everyone and make sure they can have freedom, which is what I wish more businesses would do instead of, hey, I wish you would just protect only us. Uh, we just need more people like them out there doing the right thing. Um, and I'm a dreamer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think the the very beginning of this is simply having somebody who's going to shine light on this and and bring people's attention to it. Because it's one of these cases where, you know, you get a concentrated lobby of florists in Louisiana or whatever you have. You get a concentrated lobby who has an interest in this and they push it through and they will succeed only if 
there's nobody out there taking on the cause of the people who get hurt by that. You know, it's, it's the old was the old public choice theory about how you have uh, concentrated gains and distributed losses, you know, that there's a clear person who benefits from this piece of intrusive legislation and who gets hurt by it. Well, that's kind of nebulous. And there's no one group that really feels it's threatened, at least no one group that has money. Uh, and so they never get a voice. So it's really great that there's somebody out there to give a voice to them and to make the case that intrusive government regulations are, are bad for the, the average person uh, and, and uh, reduce their prospects. Uh, so I'm really also glad of have, having you come on to, to the show to talk about that some more. No, I really appreciate it. And I can never get enough of talking about licensing. And I'm happy to be able to work in this space. Um, I was really inspired by Institute for Justice taking up the case in, in, the, in, in lawsuits and also working on policy. And there's so many people out there doing so much great work and I'm just happy to be a part of it. Um, and I wasn't cool in high school, so the fact that I have lots of Twitter followers who are like, oh my gosh, licensing reform is, is pretty great for me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's like make licensing reform cool again. Uh, right. right. Well, well, thanks for coming on. I'm Rob Trasinski. This is Salon of the Refuse. If you like what you've seen here uh, or seen or heard here, uh, you can uh, subscribe to our channel on YouTube, subscribe to our podcast. Uh, you can find more ideas and analysis at the Trasinski Letter, www.trasinskiletter.com. Uh, I'm Rob Trasinski. Thank you for listening. <laughs>